everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow. And I'm Derek Lavasser. So today we are going into part two of the Gabby Petito case. And uh, some things have happened since we last recorded about this case. In fact, I would say one of the most major breaks in this case happened after we recorded last Monday, right? Right. Yeah, and literally the next day. Yeah. The, the next morning, I think it was, that you mm-hmm. that you had you know, called me. But what happened is Brian Laundrie... Uh, at this point, we believe that that he was found dead, that his remains were found and he was identified using what his dental records. That's right. He, they found a skull and mm-hmm. they used his dental records. So he was identified using his dental records by the FBI. So at this point, as far as we know today, what is it, October 25th? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's October 25th, we're recording this. As far as we know, Brian Laundrie is dead. And we don't really have any more answers than that. But we're going to get into that in the final part when we wrap everything up. Did you yes. have something you want to talk about really quickly? Yeah, you and I have spoken about it. Just to clarify, we always say we implore you guys to sound off in the comments, send us messages or whatever. And although it wasn't abundant, we did receive a few messages about my phrasing of the van. Uh, a few times I said um, his van. Um, there was a couple other times where I said the van. And you guys were quick to point out that the van was registered to Gabby. So to, I did respond to a few of you uh, in the DMs and even like in the public forums. But just to clarify, registration, um, first off, I was wrong. I should have been saying their van. Never should I have said his van. Um, and although the van is registered to Gabby, um, proof of ownership isn't solely determined on that. And in this particular case, you have cohabitants. So they're both living in the van. Um, From my understanding, Stephanie, correct me if I'm wrong, they had a Nissan beforehand. They sold that to convert this van into something that they could travel in, but also live in. Um, Both of their belongings were in the van. They were both driving the van. I'm assuming they were both paying to put gas in the van. So in the legal sense, the van would be both of their property, even though it's registered to Gabby. However, I'm glad we had the opportunity to clarify this because I had made a comment. I think it was along the lines of Gabby was left with his van. That's inaccurate. It's their van and even more so her van. Because in the moment when you're trying to make a decision pretty quickly, the police usually run the registration as soon as they stop the vehicle. When they did that, they would have seen that the vehicle was registered to Gabby. And therefore, it makes more sense to me why they chose to leave Gabby with her van and take Brian to the the hotel. So I wanted to clarify it. There were surprisingly a few comments on it, more than I expected. But to be fair, I should have been saying there the whole time and not his. So I've seen this in a lot of comments on YouTube videos about this case. People saying that Brian should have been arrested for theft of Gabby's van. And we did talk about this a few weeks ago. Um, is that is that the case or not necessarily because it was sort of considered to be their home and a vehicle that they shared? Yeah. And you and I talked about this as well. And and that's when the questions were coming in or the comments were coming in about me saying his instead of hers. I was trying to figure out the rel- how it was relative to the case, because that's always those are the questions that I'm willing to engage with. Sometimes, as you guys know, and it, it's not anybody in this particular incident, but you'll get trolls who will go through an entire two-hour documentary is essentially what we do and try to find that one moment where you made a mistake. And so we, I can usually see I think those. you called you can, it the gotcha moment, right? The gotcha moment. Oh, yeah. he misspoke. He misspoke. Yeah. In two yeah. hours, they got him once. Mm-hmm. So those I don't usually respond to because, frankly, that doesn't that doesn't bother me. Um, 
But in this case, I decided to address it here and respond to a couple of the, the, the messages because I even, I don't know if this was the intent, but I did see how it was relative in the sense where there is some witness testimony that says he got into the van, locked her out and was trying to leave without her. And to the question you just asked, would that be considered a theft? No, I mean, no, it wouldn't be considered a theft. I talked about domestic violence and how there's very little discretion, but with motor vehicle theft, especially when you have a cohabiting property, like a vehicle or a house, it's a lot harder to charge someone, never mind get them prosecuted for it and have them ultimately be found guilty of it. So in this particular case, you can sometimes have taken a vehicle without consent, which would be a crime. Um, but the fact that one, he didn't leave, uh, therefore there was no crime committed. Um, but there was also someone, I believe in your Twitter page who said something like he was trying to strip her of the last thing she had, you know, by taking the vehicle. There may be some truth to that. I've, I'm always quick to qualify and say, I'm not a psychologist. I don't pretend to be one. Uh, I'm trying to base it off facts and circumstances so that you guys have a better understanding from a law enforcement perspective. We're supposed to be impartial. We're supposed to stick to the facts. So in this particular case, I do not believe there would have been enough there, enough probable cause, if you will, to arrest him for um, uh, taking a vehicle without consent or motor vehicle theft. So the way you had sort of explained it to me that cleared things up for me was, let's say there's a, a husband and a wife. They live together. They have two vehicles. They get into a fight. He takes off in one of the cars that happens to be registered to her. She calls the police and she says, my husband stole my car. Arrest him. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to look into this. Does the husband typically drive this car? Does the husband put gas into this car? Is he paying the payment? Just because it's registered to her, it doesn't mean that it's it's not his. Personally, in my household, all the cars are registered under my name, but that doesn't mean that I can just call the police if my husband decides to go to the grocery store. So it is a very, um, I guess, gray area, but it, it would come down to, once again, discretion. Correct. Right. And in this case, what we would more than likely do if that was the sole the sole charge that we were considering charging, then more than likely you as a officer would take an initial report. Investigators would follow up on it. They would look into the bill of sale. They would conduct interviews. And if Gabby had still wanted to pursue charges at that point, if they were able to clearly show how he did not have a right to that vehicle, then then they could charge him later. There's a statute of limitations on it. It's plenty of time to discern if there was a clear line between when he was at one point allowed to take the vehicle and at one point no longer allowed. Let's say there was a clear breakup where, you know, he was no, he just showed up randomly and took the car mm -hmm. without her consent. Well, that's a theft of a vehicle. It's a different story. It's a different story. So um, I hope that clarifies it for everyone. I'm already ready for it. As we're recording this. The new YouTube video hasn't came out yet. So we've mm -hmm. already released the audio version. Mm -hmm. The YouTube version of that audio hasn't came out yet. So you're so waiting just, for those comments? <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just waiting for it. So if anybody's listening to the audio on this, feel free to go over to the YouTube channel and respond for me. I'd, I'd greatly appreciate it. You know, it's coming. It, right? it will. So, it will. Yeah. It will. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. I love hearing what people think, but you're right. I think there are some people who just try to be contrary and some people who try to pick out the one thing that they can sort of like attach to. And that's fine because it's engagement regardless. So we kind of left off the first part last episode. Where was the last part we left off when they'd been pulled over by the Moab police? We went through the body cam footage, correct? Yeah, we, we actually ended on the uh, Officer Pratt's yeah. uh, quote, which you uh, 
were surprised about. I we was actually stunned. after we we ended recording, and just because you were so surprised, and I value your level of research so much, I'm like, let let's go back and look and make sure I got that quote right. And unfortunately, I, I did. It was right, and we, you found it yourself as well. And we were like, wow, yeah, he really said that. It's it's very prophetic, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Some people were given saying as well that like. You know, Derek was able to basically lay out exactly how wrong the police were and how they made a decision that they shouldn't have. But yet he wasn't there to condemn condemn them. I, I said with keeping emotion out of it, I would have done it differently. I, I said that very clearly. But that that's I would what have discretion Brian. is, right? Discretion but, is up to the person there. Right. And there were some people who did comment that because I didn't watch every second of the video, the body cam footage that the officer went back to his vehicle called the witness, one of the witnesses. Mm -hmm. And on the phone with that witness, the witness said, I saw Gabby hit him. Yeah, well that was probably around. that was probably the, the, the second one. And the well, it'll be the first one. The but you're right, the second call. The caller. second one on the scene. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, so you called the wrong witness, buddy. Yeah. So 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 I could see how in that moment where he's trying to discern what happened from impartial witnesses that you can't just take the one witness at their word and not the other. So it's kind of a conflicting story. It looks like they were fighting with each other. So I'm not going to sit here and say this is the most egregious thing I've ever seen by a police officer. It's not. Um, but I, no. I think I clearly spelt out that if it were me on scene, I would have done it differently. That's as much as I can go to sit here and say uh, that these guys should be, you know, um, prosecuted immediately for, for negligence and dereliction of duty. I think is an overstatement by me. And that's not being biased. That's just how I feel. I'm no longer a cop. I mean, I'm sure they feel horrible about it. And I said that. Remember, mm -hmm. I said, obviously, I'm sure now in hindsight, I even referred to an incident that I was involved in. I, I'm sure they have, you know, they're humans and I'm sure that they they have some regret. But, I'm, you know. Yeah, I will say I don't think that they handled it properly. But I'm right. also not going to say that they went into it with malicious intent. I think that they thought they were doing the right thing. And intent matters at the end of the day. Still, I agree. Well, still said. in twenty, still in twenty twenty one, intent still matters to some yeah. to some degree, right? Yep. No, I agree. I think there were the two things that I saw. There might be more. I apologize if I'm missing it, but those were the two things. But considering we discovered, we talked about um, identifying primary aggressor, domestic violence statutes, Utah law. Mm -hmm. yes. If that's the only thing they, that we had to correct. Yeah. Pretty damn good. I'll take yeah. it. Yeah. So, I mean, when we when we last left off, they had just kind of separated them and they left Gabby in her van and they brought Brian to a hotel and uh, they said separate for the night. Now, do we know if they separated for the night? No, we have no evidence of whether they did or they didn't. But the next day, neither one of them mentions this on social media. No one, you know, is posting like, hey, just got, you know, into a huge incident with the police yesterday in Moab, Utah. And it kind of shows you like how social media is. Like they talk about all these great things and they talk about the the really beautiful parts of life and traveling and all this beautiful nature, but they're not going to post a picture of them getting interrogated by the police on the side of the road. But Brian, he posted like a bunch of self-righteous stuff on his Instagram. Uh, there's a picture of him. He's holding half a cantaloupe. And the caption says, not a lot of biodegradable packaging for on-the-go food these days. That's why I stick with my melon rinds, apple cores, peach pits, and banana peels. Also, most melons contain around 90% of water. Talk about hydration. 
Let's keep plastic water bottles off the trail, or better yet, off the planet. Now, the same day, Brian also posted a long rant saying, quote, humans are primates, great apes, in fact, but I don't know all how great we are as a species. Chimpanzees share 98.8% of their DNA with humans, our closest living relative. But as I see it, every living creature is in some way our relative, even trees. Only 800 million only 800 million years ago, animal cells started appearing on Earth, comprised of mainly the same parts and following the same functions as plant cells, requiring oxygen, solar energy, minerals, nutrients, and water. This tree was surviving in only inches of soil in an area of extreme heat and drought. I think our culture, our society, has put itself above all living creatures, creating needs purely to support destructive economic practices. This tree doesn't require an Apple Watch. It doesn't stream its favorite shows or have a microwave oven, pay health insurance, or drink grande iced caramel macchiatos. It is just a tree. But you rarely see geese riding jet skis or wearing designed clothing either. I think if we all want breathable air and drinkable water, we all need to learn how to live with less. End quote. Only, what did he say? Only 800 million years ago? Yeah. What do you think about this? Only eight hundred, only eight hundred million years ago. You know, he's very critical of uh, the human of race. everyone. You yeah. know, he's very critical of everyone in the way we're living. And you know, listen, I actually don't have a problem. Just in, in if I'm compartmentalizing this, I don't have a problem with him wanting to have us be more clean with what we do. Or, you know, and how we take care of the earth. We only have one earth. I am a firm believer in you know we're not doing the best job, and we could all do more to try to sustain um, the environment. Um, so I don't have an issue with that. He is a little preachy here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess if I can't believe it makes me my stomach turn, I'm defending him here. He is kind of practicing what he preaches other than the fact that he's driving a combustible engine vehicle That's, around the around the country. Well, I mean, he's practicing what he preaches. I mean, he's not. I mean, dude's, he's using, dude's living in a van for a month. <laughs> OK, yeah. before but that, he, he was living in a house in Florida, driving his mother's Mustang. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess I can't give him that then either. I don't know. And but I mean, might I add, I understand we should get plastic. Well, plastic water bottles are horrible. But leave the caramel macchiatos alone, man. Leave them alone. <laughs> paper straws now, though. Exactly. If I'm drinking a caramel macchiato with a paper straw, it's fine. But he is preachy, right? What does Apple yeah. Watches and caramel macchiatos have to do with the environment? He's kind of going back and forth between like uh, capitalism's bad, uh, hurting the environment's bad, and he's sort of going through this whole uh, angsty thing. And you're right. It does seem like he has just a very low opinion of everybody besides himself. And I think that that included Gabby. Oh, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I think. But, you know, I wonder, and we'll never know now, this is what he's saying, but a lot of people will say something even though under underlying there's a self-consciousness about it and you're just kind of saying what you want people to believe, but in reality, that's not how you feel. It's called so virtue, I, virtue signaling. Yeah, he's basically sitting here trying to pretend as if he feels like he's better than, but in reality, there may be some insecurity there. I definitely think that was the case with Gabby. She was so ambitious and she had all these goals. And anytime she brought something up to him, it was right from her mouth. Although it was very quick, she told the police officers right out, he's always putting down everything I'm doing. Well, why are you doing that? You're in a relationship. You're supposed to lift each other up. And here you are just kind of like discrediting everything that she wants to accomplish. So clearly there's some insecurity there. And I think he felt like, and I, I tweeted this out, if she continued to realize 
that he wasn't good for her and that she was destined for better things, she may leave him. And I still wonder to this day, as we're sitting here, did that play into what happened or what we believe happened? Because she she started to pull away like, listen, dude, you're not everything you think you are. Yeah. I mean, in his Instagram post, when he proposed to her, right, he said, every day with you feels like a dream. That's what it feels like. It feels like a dream because he felt that he had sort of lucked out with her and that one day she was going to realize that he was kind of just a basic guy with nothing going for him and 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 move on. And so I really think also he was kind of forcing her into this nature thing. You should hike with bare feet, this, this and that, the whole con- conservation of nature thing. Not that she wasn't into that, but I think he really was like almost brainwashing her into it because he wanted her to be more like him. He, it was almost like it was the cult of Brian Laundry. You know, follow me, travel with me, let me isolate you from everybody. And when you come back, you'll be, you know, a, a pure um, naturalist like myself. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, so after this self-righteous, long, ranty post, Brian Laundry does not post on Instagram again. And then on August 17th, he flew back to Florida and he left Gabby and the van in Utah. So allegedly, he went back to Florida to help his father basically clear out a storage unit that he and Gabby had been renting. So Brian and Gabby had some items of theirs in a storage unit. They were paying for it every month. And Brian's father claimed that he told Brian he'd be willing to store these things at his home so that the couple didn't have to keep paying the monthly rent on the storage unit. CBS News reported that Brian flew cross-country in order to clean out the unit and get some supplies, claiming he and Gabby were considering extending their road trip. Now, I've I've really always found this side trip of Brian's, you know, back to Florida from Utah. This is a journey of almost 2,500 miles. And it's very curious. It's very odd. Why would he Why would he do that at that moment? He flew out of Salt Lake City. He flew into Tampa. And apparently his sister Cassie saw him briefly while he was in Florida. And she claimed that at that point she wondered, you know, why was Gabby not with him? Cassie said that Brian was talking to her about where and Gabby were going next. And Cassie and her children actually FaceTimed with Gabby while Brian was in Florida. So what do you make of this? Because his lawyer or the laundry family lawyer, Steve Bertolino, he claims that Brian flew home to get some items and closed the storage unit out for good since he and Gabby were going to extend their road trip. Of course, there's a ton of speculation about this online. They uh, wonder if Gabby and Brian had fought and that's why Brian left. And then they'd sort of like reconciled over the phone and he returned to Utah. But what's your take on it? I mean, the theory you just laid out, definitely possible. Um, I, if I, if I had the opportunity, I would ask Cassie what Gabby's demeanor was when they FaceTimed her with her children. It could also be a scenario where they're paying for the storage unit. Their funds are limited. You know, they're living out of a van. We know they weren't, they weren't rich. And it may have been something that now that they had tried this trip, they really did decide like, we love this and we want to continue it. And we're paying for a storage unit that we technically can't afford. So I'm going to go down there and close it. I'm not saying it makes sense. I see your face. You're kind of like giving me the After the traffic stop, Brian's like, I love this. This is the best time of my life. I want to make this last longer. I mean, it could have been a a mutual thing. It sounds like they had a very tumultuous relationship from the time they started. So it feels to me, and if I'm wrong, I'll apologize later, 
that them arguing and fighting with each other was a common occurrence since the day they met. Yeah. And so I, I feel like there are a couple that, you know, couples we all know where one day they're fighting like literally you, you they're never going to be together again. And the next day they're posting on social media how much they love each other and how lucky they are. We've all seen it. It's not. It's a very toxic relationship. Yes. It's very seesawing. Yeah. So could that be their relationship where they, they're they passionate in the sense where they fight really hard? Listen, I mean, they didn't call the police. Somebody called on them. So do I think that they would have called the police for that traffic stop if, if the witnesses hadn't seen it? No. no, I don't think Gabby would have called the police and we wouldn't have that footage and we might not even know about that disagreement. So- I'm just saying, is it possible he went there to close it out? It does seem kind of like uh, the saying going around your ass to get to your elbow because your 2,500-mile trip, probably very expensive uh, to close out a storage unit that you could probably do over the phone. Or just but have, I, like, your dad and, like, a couple neighborhood guys do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a lot to leave your girlfriend and your vehicle and to go out there and do all that. But not everything Brian has done in his life, even up to that the point that we're getting to, Makes a lot of sense to me personally, but you know, he, he lives a different style of life. I don't know. Maybe he didn't trust people with the unit, but again, not trying to speak out both sides of my mouth. It's absolutely plausible that there was a fight and this was an opportunity for him to get away and maybe try to see if she would like, you know, he leaves her out there by herself. They reconcile. He flies back out. Is that possible? Of course. Of course it is. Yeah. But the weird thing is, though, Gabby's mother said she didn't understand why Gabby and Brian had even gotten the storage unit to begin with. Because remember, Gabby's father, Joe, he lives in Florida, too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess Joe, before they had gotten the storage unit, had offered for Gabby and Brian to store their things at his place. And they had instead decided to get the storage unit which is odd because they're pinching pennies, right? They're not working. They're they're going to be going on the road and driving for four months. Not many people can just stop working for four months and be flush with cash, which also is confusing as to why he would buy a plane ticket to, to fly back to Florida in the middle of this trip instead of just going back or saying, hey, dad, can you grab a couple of guys and help them move this stuff out of the storage area, right? Yeah, I mean, a storage unit per month, depending on the size, is anywhere from 150 to 250, maybe even a little bit more. I can assume, I can only assume it costs more to fly back home, you know, than that. So it doesn't make a lot of sense economically, you know, and as far as the, the offering of Gabby's dad to keep their property there, it might, it might speak to the controlling aspect of this again. Mm -hmm. It always seemed like Brian was trying to create a buffer between Gabby and her friends and family. Mm -hmm. Because again, if he was the only voice in her ear, then his word was gospel, right? But if he allowed other people to be involved in her life, maybe they would see something he didn't want them to see and have her pull away from him, Brian, that is. So I think he might, was always cognizant of who was in her life, who she was confiding in, who she was speaking with. He always wanted to control the narrative. And I think that's why he was okay with Gabby speaking to his family because mm-hmm. they were obviously team Brian. So that's okay. But I think when other people offered to help or be part of her life, he was always kind of dismissive of that. Yeah. And it's it's also a bit strange because, you know, while Brian was in Florida, Gabby posted a picture on Instagram on August 19th. And this is a picture. Basically, it looks like she's sitting in the van. Her legs are outstretched. So it's just a picture of her legs. And then, you know, the great outdoors in the background, it looks like tumbleweed, kind of deserty um, scenario. And in this post, she's complaining about food packages being left behind by tourists. And to me, I have to ask myself, like, who does this sound like? Considering that Gabby had never said anything like this on Instagram before, 
and Brian was known to complain about the infestation of the human race cluttering the planet and littering the planet, it does sound more like something Brian would say. So there's two scenarios, two theories that have been sort of posited online where people say either A, this is Brian making this post. And personally, I don't believe that because by this point, Gabby was still alive because she's seen multiple times after this. So I don't believe that. The second theory is that he was literally rubbing off on her so much that he was insidious to her, that he had started to sort of grow into her brain to the point where he's not even around because he's in Florida at this point. She's technically alone and she's making these sorts of claims. Yeah, I, I think there's truth to that. I think, again, whenever we talk about these cases, I always think for me it's 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 good to like pull from past experience. And again, we, we've seen individuals, whether they're in a, uh, a romantic relationship or it's just a friendship where you'll have this friend for years. And as soon as they start hanging around with a particular person, they start to talk like them, act like them. And it's completely out of character for who they are. So when you magnify that by sticking that friend in a vehicle with this individual where there's nobody else to basically talk to, that process is probably, it's probably, it's, it's sped up. And it could be that, it could be that, you know, she was started, you know, he was rubbing off on her, his ideologies, his philosophies on life and the environment. It could also have been something where you said he was still in Florida at this point, right? Right. Could it have been a post where... They maybe did have that argument that you were referring to earlier, and this was kind of her way of reaching out and trying to connect with him through something that he would find um, attractive and good and, and positive and maybe cause him to reach out to her because even though she's not with him currently, she's living her life the way he would want her to live. Dude, that's, that's deep, crazy. But- I can't even believe it. I never considered that before. But yes, this isn't her texting him and outright like, I'm sorry, or I don't want to fight. This is sort of like this uh, uh, behind-the-scenes olive branch. Like, see, I'm I'm listening to you. I am following your tutelage. I am following in your footsteps. Aren't you proud of page. me? Aren't you proud of me, right? Yeah. Don't you want... I, I yeah. could be wrong, but no? it, it sounded, yeah. felt like that. You know, Maybe it was her way of reaching out indirectly. Yeah, that's crazy. Sign up for my psychology course. <laughs> At DerekPsychology.com. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) Well, the first and only video that was posted to the couple's YouTube page, which was called Nomadic Static, that was also put up on the 19th. This was an eight-minute video titled Beginning Our Van Life Journey, and it's a mashup of videos from trips that the two had taken together. So it looks like some footage from previous trips they had taken before they got the van and also some footage of the trips they had taken with the van. And a lot of this footage is taken with a drone because you can see uh, the van driving through the desert, the van driving on the the road. So it appears that they had a drone of some kind that they would send up there and take pictures and videos of the van. At some point, Gabby ended up at the Fairfield Inn and Suites in Salt Lake City, Utah. And we don't really know how long she stayed there, even though the hotel did confirm that she'd booked a room for more than one night. Some sources say she was there for two nights. But the question does arise that if Brian flew out of Salt Lake City and Gabby was staying at a hotel in Salt Lake City, wouldn't it make sense that she'd probably been at the hotel the whole time that Brian was gone, or at least in Salt Lake City the whole time Brian was gone, because I feel like that would be safer for her to be in a hotel and sort of stay in the same area 
at night instead of sleeping alone in a van somewhere like in the wilderness or some sketchy RV park. You know, at least when you're there with Brian or, or another person, there's strength in numbers. You have like a partner. But to just be a young 20-something girl alone sleeping in a van, it can get to kind of dangerous. And I've heard stories of these uh, van lifers who, you know, especially the women who do this van life journey alone, they have sketchy stuff happening to them all the time, like people trying to break into the van at night, um, people trying to rob them, like really uh, scary kind of stuff. I, I completely agree with everything you said. I mean, she's brave to be out there by herself. But was um, she out there by herself is what I'm asking. Was she at the hotel the whole time or was she literally camping out in this van by herself while Brian was gone? I mean, there was nothing confirmed through the through the hotel that no. would suggest like when she checked in, when she checked out. They It says when she checked out, but they, they don't say when she checked in. They just confirmed that she stayed for more than one night. Okay. And they said she checked out on what date? On the twenty fourth, the twenty fourth, yeah. yeah, August twenty fourth. She was seen. She was seen checking out. Ah, yeah. I mean, so she wouldn't have been alone too much by herself because Brian got back into Utah, Utah on the twenty third. Right. So technically, he comes. So she, more than likely, if she was there multiple nights, he left on the seventeenth. The seventeenth. But then again, you have the picture on the nineteenth. Again, she could have taken that picture with her legs out the window previously right. doesn't necessarily suggest that she took that it she that was, moment right yeah i was taking it at that moment i mean yeah it would it would make sense that he said hey listen you stay in the hotel until i get back don't go nowhere you know i'll be back on the 23rd he arrives back at the hotel on the 23rd they spend the night in the hotel together and then they you know she 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 uh checks out on the 24th and they continue on their trip um, that would make reasonable sense. That's I don't... six days, though, Derek. Seventeenth to the twenty yeah. third. He's gone six days. I mean, it's not even the price because you're going to pay the same for the ticket to go there and the ticket to come back, regardless of when you go in there and come back. But why to clear out a storage unit? Did he have to be gone for six days? He could have flown in on the seventeenth, cleared out the storage unit, flown back the next day. Yeah, six the... days. That's almost a week. And and that's why I think there's some truth to the idea that maybe it was more than him just flying home for the storage yeah. unit. And maybe now that the the Instagram post on the 19th makes more sense because there was some there was some disagreements going on between them. Maybe this was still the residual effect of what happened on the 12th, right? The traffic stop and, yeah. you know, the embarrassment. I'm saying air quotes here, guys. Embarrassment that um, Gabby caused for Brian because I'm sure that was the narrative afterwards, by the way. Mm -hmm. I, I guarantee it. Yes. He made her feel like she was the reason the police were called because she was acting crazy. Mm -hmm. Guarantee it. Yeah. No doubt in my mind. So, you know, guys so, like this, right? Oh, yeah. 1000 yeah. percent. So, you know, I do think that this might have just been some lingering effects from the traffic stop and maybe he got away and he was, quote unquote, teaching her a lesson. And that might be why right. she put up the post, all these things. So, yeah, it does make sense. It does make sense when you really start to dive into it. Um, it's not a science, but it's, it's it is a lot of just kind of common sense when you think about it. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. He probably stormed off, you know, like, I need some time to clear my head. And threw a baby bitch fit and then, you know, wanted to basically make her squirm while he was gone. Yeah, I agree. So she must have been at the hotel for more than two nights because she checked out on the 24th. And on August 21st, Gabby called her father, Joe Petito, and she asked him to order her food from Uber Eats and have it sent to the hotel. So she must have been there at least on the night of the 21st. 
And on August 24th, like I said, Gabby was seen checking out of the hotel. Employees from the hotel and the Perkins restaurant, which was attached to the hotel and next door, they remembered seeing Gabby, but not Brian, even though he'd flown back the day before. And get this, the hotel where Gabby stayed was only 700 feet away from the FBI's Salt Lake City office. Ah, wow. Yeah, so close yet so far away. Yep. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, so Brian returned to Utah on August 23rd. That's four days before Gabby Petito was last seen alive. Now, Gabby last spoke to her mother on the phone on August 25th, and from then on, she would communicate only via text. So it's actually very confusing, the timeline of when Gabby last spoke to this person or that person, but um, what we kind of have an understanding of is there's two texts that were sent from Gabby to her mother that we know of, at least, that were sort of sending up red flags for Gabby's mother. And I'm sure there's other texts. There have been multiple times where reporters have asked Nicole, that's Gabby's mother, you know, what did this text say? What did that text say? And Nicole will basically tell them, like, I can't speak on that right now. So clearly she was instructed by the police to not talk about these things. But we sort of have a, a general understanding that the last time Gabby spoke to her mother on the phone or via FaceTime was August 25th. Now, on either August 25th or the 26th, we have that woman, Sonny Mason, who spotted Brian and Gabby at a shop in Idaho. This was a, a souvenir shop about 30 miles away from Grand Teton National Park. And we did briefly talk about Sonny Mason in part one. She'd bonded with Gabby over Gabby's flower tattoo. And she was the one who had noticed that Brian was acting kind of pushy about Gabby telling people that they were engaged. So he wanted her to refer to him as her fiancé instead of her partner. So on August 27th, a text from Gabby's phone to her mother, Nicole, said, Can you help Stan? I just keep getting his voicemails and missed calls. All right, so from what we know from Gabby's mother, Gabby did have a grandfather named Stan. But according to Nicole, Gabby's mother, Gabby would never call her grandfather Stan. She would never call him by his first name. And this raised red flags for Nicole. So Nicole's thinking, is Gabby actually the one sending these text messages? Because this isn't how she talks, and this isn't what she calls her grandfather. Now, during the trip, Gabby had stayed in contact with her family consistently. Sometimes she wouldn't be able to reach out to them for like a day or so, but that was only during times where they were traveling and she was in a bad service area. But Nicole claimed that as the trip progressed, she could tell from conversations with Gabby that there was building tension between her daughter and Brian. So many people online have theorized that this text, the, the Stan text, it may have been Gabby sending a message to her mother. Maybe Gabby was being watched. Maybe she felt her texts or calls were being monitored and she wanted to send a secret message but they're saying that Gabby used the name Stan as an acronym for Send the Authorities Now. And especially with the word help coming directly before the name Stan, because that's how it goes in the text message. She says, can you help Stan? And if you kind of spread that out, it's help send authorities now. So what do you think about about that? We did talk about this on the phone a little bit. Yeah, I'd love for, you know, it wouldn't make a difference now. I don't know. I don't know. I recommend to all families have code words with their children, even not in this situation where we have these uh, kidnappings by phone where these basically these 
these scam artists will say they have your child even though they don't. And, you know, they'll have like a kid crying in the background. It's a pre-recording. And one of the things you can do is ask them to ask your child what their code word is. You know what I mean? Like to see if you can confirm that they do actually have your child or not. Or you could put it in a text message or something like that. You know, web or sleuths, if the they pe- make you call your family, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. A way of like getting a message to them without having to spell right. it out. Yeah. If this wasn't pre-set up, although it would be something that is possible, I don't think why Ga- I don't know why Gabby would send that message thinking because I didn't I didn't know that was a thing and or I wouldn't be able to discern that from that text message. And I'm I'm a cop. So either I'm a really crappy cop or it's something that you would again, the people online, all they have to do now is dissect what you have. And it's almost like you can almost make something out of anything if you contort it enough. It's kind of like uh the Zodiac uh, anagram coding now, people are pulling messages out of it to fit whatever narrative they want to push. They said they, they've identified the Zodiac and all this stuff. So I personally don't think that's what she was doing, but I do think, and I don't want to get ahead of us here, that that could be an indication that it wasn't Gabby texting at all. Um, I don't think it's as deep as her sending a, a secret message. I think it might not have been her texting her mother. Yeah, if she didn't have a grandfather named Stan, I might consider that something bizarre was going on, right? Yeah, yeah, if exactly. She, yeah, if she didn't have a grandfather named Stan. But how would she expect her mother to know what that meant? That's, it's, that's I mean, it's so right. discreet. Yeah. It's I like mean, almost too discreet, you know? Yeah, like very discreet to the point where a person who worked in law enforcement has never heard of it before. So No, no, that's a... I mean, it's you know, did she feel like she was in that much danger where she would ha- she couldn't get away for a second to just Let's say, hey, help me or call 911 or something? Yeah, I completely right. agree. I think right. it is more of an indication that she probably didn't send that text. Right. And just to kind of catch up again, we have the traffic stop on the 12th. Mm-hmm. We have Brian arriving back on the 23rd. Mm-hmm. Them check, you know, at least Gabby checking out of the hotel on the 24th. And then this odd text message being sent on the 27th. And why those dates are important is because of everything we've talked about so far, we know they were fighting on the 12th. We, I think it's reasonable to assume that this traffic stop did not help their relationship. It probably caused more problems, right? I'm sure Brian was blaming her the entire time since that traffic stop for the traffic stop. He goes home maybe to, quote unquote, teach her a lesson. He finally comes back out there. He might still be giving her the cold shoulder and kind of like, talking down to her and again, still blaming her for everything that's transpired up to that point. So could something had taken place in between the 24th and the 27th that resulted in her death? Absolutely. He's sending this text message in order to not raise any flags back home. Yeah. And what we're going to get into in the next section is all these eyewitnesses who, who saw Gabby and Brian and all these eyewitnesses who saw Brian alone. So it's going to help us sort of piece together. uh, Hopefully it's going to help us piece together a timeline of when was Gabby last seen? What what day was she last seen? And was it around the 27th? And I'm going to go ahead and say it definitely was probably around that time because Gabby stops calling her family and she wouldn't do that if she had service. And I wanted to ask you that question because I saw a lot of this online but I, I defer to you on these things. I mean, was she known to always call home? Was yes. that a common occurrence? Okay. Yeah. The, so it the wasn't entire like she would trip. check in. Yeah. Okay. The entire trip, she checked in every day if she could. 
Um, almost every day, really? Almost every day, yes. Okay, uh, talk to, so there's your pattern. Talk to her brother on Snapchat, talk to her mother and father on FaceTime or, or calls. She was constantly in contact with her family and in previous trips that she had taken, it was the same. So yes, obviously when she completely stops calling people, texting them, FaceTiming them, responding to their messages, asking where she is, yes, this is a red flag. Yeah, pattern, mm-hmm. right? What do we always say? What am I going to say right here? Best predictor of future past, behavior. Past behavior is the best <laughs> predictor of future behavior. It's the same thing. And and so you're right. And it's like, you know, when she changed, what caused her to change her behavior? Or in this case, what caused her to stop to be able to carry out her behavior? Mm-hmm. What made her in a, unable to do what she's normally done? So I'm glad we're getting into that because I do think we can probably narrow down uh, a time of death, the time when this incident occurred. Mm-hmm. Um and really focus on that to try to kind of figure out because there's a lot of speculation out there a lot about when she was killed. And so as you're talking, there's a lot you're saying that's all important, but I'm really focusing on dates and times and past behavior and and maybe a motive, what might have led up to the to the strangulation, to this killing. So um yeah, fascinating stuff so far. Well, apparently Gabby had sent another text to her mother. Some sources say that this text was sent on August 30th. I I think that these sources were probably very early on sources because if I look at the dates on them, they all say like September 2021. So this was right when this was all unfolding. I think they're incorrect about that text being sent on August 30th because I believe, uh, and we'll get to it further on in in the, the case, but I believe Gabby's phone was turned off on the evening of August 27th. So this text was probably sent to Nicole on that same day. But of course, this being the case that it is with just little bits of information being released uh, little by little, we don't we don't really know. But this text said that there was no service in Yosemite, which is completely weird because Gabby and Brian had not been planning to go to Yosemite. They'd told uh, their parents and friends and just random people they met that their next stop was Yellowstone National Park. And these these two parks are not even anywhere close to each other. And actually, Gabby was supposed to be meeting with a friend at Yellowstone National Park, but Gabby never made it there, nor did she call or text to let her friend know that she wasn't going to make it. And this friend, who prefers to remain anonymous, she claims that she knows if Gabby had been in an area where she had cell phone service and reception, she would have reached out. She would have touched base. And this friend said, you know, my birthday was on August 28th when Gabby didn't call or text me to wish me a happy birthday. I was like, well, you know, no big deal because she's she's traveling like cross country. So there may be something going on or, you know, maybe she doesn't have service. But as the days passed, the friend realized, you know, she didn't meet me at Yellowstone like she said she would. She didn't call me on my birthday. These are all things that are out of the norm for Gabby's behavior. Yeah. Again, narrowing down the idea that she didn't just stop calling everybody for no reason. Something transpired. And we know because of what the information we have now that she was murdered. And so I think it's reasonable to assume based on what you're saying and the lack of any type of activity to friends, family members. I mean, you could make the argument, maybe she was just mad at her mom or something, but to not reach out to the person she was supposed to meet in a few days. That doesn't, I don't think anybody listening to this or watching this would say, yeah, that makes a lot of rational sense. That's something someone would do. Yeah. And why would Gabby tell her mom that she was, you know, in Yosemite, like no service in Yosemite? 
Now, we definitely believe, and as as does Gabby's mother, Nicole, and everyone in Gabby's family, they believe that this Yosemite text was not sent by Gabby, um, which which would lead us to believe that it was sent by Brian, right? But why would he say that they were in Yosemite? He might have, he might have won. He had other things on his mind at that point. All right. Yellowstone, Yosemite, and also, you know, if you just murdered your girlfriend- uh, and the, and her mom's reaching out, wanting to speak to you. Clearly, you have other things on your mind. He might have mixed them up. I don't know why. I mean, it seems like a pretty big screw up when you're trying to make sure it's a believable text. When you're Maybe this he, like cross-country traveler who's just so right. in tune with the earth, you think you'd know the difference between Yellowstone and Yosemite, right? Right. But if she's already dead at that point, he's... He's scrambling. I don't think He's she scrambling. was. I don't think she was dead at that point. But you don't think she was dead by the twenty seventh? No, you don't. No, because we have people seeing her. We're going to get to that. The 27th, we have pe- yeah. people seeing her on the twenty seventh. So we could get down to hours then, right? I, I mean, are you going to get into? T- I think it happened on the twenty seventh and the evening well, that, of the twenty seventh. But right. I don't so I, know. I don't know. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to go through it, and I want to know what you think. I, I'm pushing you here, but do you do we know what time the text message for the the grandfather the stand text message? What time it was sent at? They haven't okay. revealed that. Yeah, believe that'll be me, interesting. I wish I knew what time those. <laughs> I wish I knew what time those text messages right? had been sent. But due to the sort of timeline that you know we get from these eyewitnesses, I I think we can sort of piece it together. Okay. All right. All right. So these eyewitnesses. We'll start with that. The first one is August 25th at around 5 p.m. This was a couple, Shannon and Russell Baker. And this is actually a really sad story because <laughs> I get all into these people's personal lives. But um, Shannon and Russell, they're married. And Russell was diagnosed with, like, cancer, like really bad cancer. So they said, you know, we better live our lives while we can. We're going to do this thing that we've always wanted to do, which is to basically go out on the road and and travel the country. So this this nice couple did that because he he had gotten cancer and it's so so sad. But they actually spotted Gabby's distinctive Ford Transit van in a parking area near Jenny Lake in Grand Teton National Park. So the Russell said that the park was crowded that day because it was National Park Services Day, so there was no fee for entry. But despite this, Shannon is sure that the van was Gabby's, saying, "quote It had the black ladder on the back." and the two black rooftops on top, the two bars, and we made the comment that it would be the perfect little camper van to go around in, end quote. So that's the 25th. They're in Grand Teton National Park. We also have another eyewitness sighting from August 26th, but the witness, a woman named Jessica Schultz, claims to have seen Brian alone, and she said he was acting weird. Jessica was camping in uh, Spread Creek, so... This is very close to the area where Gabby's remains would be found. And uh, this is in Wyoming, by the way. So she's driving behind a white Ford Transit van with Florida plates. She said the van was driving really slowly down a narrow road and it didn't seem like the driver knew where he was going. At one point, this van pulled partially off the road, which uh, caused Jessica to have to sort of like pull around it. And as she was pulling around the van, she said she looked in to the driver's side and the driver looked like a generic white guy, which is the perfect, perfect description of Brian Laundrie. Um, but she paid attention to him and what he looked like because she said, quote, you know, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, your hackles go up when you see something out of the ordinary, end quote. So Jessica saw this same van parked in the same place on August 27th and 28th. And she felt that this was strange because 
It was just kind of like off to the side of the road. It wasn't a designated parking or camping area. She didn't see anyone in or around the van, and there was no signs that a camp was being set up. And you might say, well, what kind of camp is going to be set up? They're sleeping inside the van. Well, they still have to cook and stuff. So they bring out their little camp stove and, you know, like chairs and stuff. And there would be signs that somebody was like camping out in this van. And there was nothing like that. So like I said, where Jessica believes she saw Brian Laundry, whom she recognized after being sent a video of the Moab, Utah body cam footage, this was very, very, very close to where Gabby Petito's remains would later be found. On August 27th, a woman named Nia Angelo and her boyfriend, Matthew England, this was a couple from New Orleans, they claimed to have seen Gabby and Brian at the Mary Piglet's Tex-Mex restaurant in Jackson, Wyoming. This restaurant is a 40-minute drive from where Gabby's body would be found. So this is August 27th. This is the same day that uh, Gabby's mother, Nicole, gets the strange text about Stan. So Nina Angelo claimed that the couple, a.k.a. Brian and Gabby, they were having a heated argument and making a scene in the restaurant. She said, quote, They left, like abruptly, and Petito was standing on the sidewalk crying, and Laundry walked back in and was like screaming at the hostess and then walked back out. And then he walked back in like four more times to talk to the manager and to like tell the hostess off. She seemed really upset. So when she's talking about she in this quote, she's talking about Gabby. So Nina goes on to say she seemed really upset. She was emotional. She was crying. She seemed kind of embarrassed. At one point, she walked back into the restaurant on one of his attempts to walk back. And I think she followed him and was trying to, I think, get him to leave and, like, drop the situation. Like, she just kind of wanted to defuse the situation. She was like, I'm sorry. Come on. Let's just go. But she was visibly upset. End quote. What do you think about this? To me, it says motive, right? It says as far as what led up to the death of Gabby Petito. We're talking about a series of events all the way leading up to this, starting on the 12th, which, again, I keep going back to it, but I'm assuming the arguments between them had started even before that. Yes, that was just the I first agree. argument yeah. that was was reported to the police. Right. So this this relate this relationship at this point, although it's been tumultuous since they've met, there's an there's an escalation there. It's becoming more frequent. It's becoming more violent. Um, it was pro- it probably started behind closed doors when people weren't around. It was very you know they kept it to themselves. Now it's escalated to the point where people are noticing it in parking lots and calling the police because it looks bad enough to call the to warrant the police and. They're having outright arguments and fights in public places like a restaurant where they really don't care that people are seeing what's going on. So it's escalating to the point where it's a pattern that's only getting worse as we continue and it ultimately leads to her death, which we know that, right? We know that's a fact. And again, I think this is really important because one, you're now that you're saying it, I think it would, there were multiple people in that restaurant that have confirmed that it was Gabby and Brian. So I think it's fair to say she was still alive on the 27th. Yeah. And we go back to the times, right? Mm-hmm. Was this the argument that led to her death? I think so. Was this the beginning of the end for Gabby Petito? Well, I mean, you know how they say, like, when you see a couple fighting in public, what's the one thing you usually say? Like, oh, they're acting like this in front of everyone. What's happening when they're alone? Exactly. Right. So exactly. I think what happened here, because it says that they, apparently Brian was having a what's what they called a stand up fight with the waitress. So I, I take that to mean that 
He was so upset, so aggravated, so angry that he literally got up out of his chair, stood up and was yelling at their waitress. And Gabby was crying and repeatedly apologizing for her boyfriend's behavior. So what do we have here as options? In my opinion, two things. They leave their restaurant and Brian's like, how dare you? How dare you embarrass me like that? Apologizing for my behavior. I had every right to be upset. She forgot my water. She forgot my lemon in my water. Like she completely is sucks at her job. How she dare you? She forgot my lemon. She Did forgot she the really? lemon in my water. You she, would go there. She Because that's Brian, man. He's such the a- lemon in my water. He's such a baby bitch boy. But, or he was. Anyways, so he's upset because he feels justified in his behavior. And she was apologizing for him which most likely was incredibly embarrassing for him, even though in reality, he was the one who was embarrassing her. So he's either upset because she apologized or Gabby, seeing the way Brian treats the waitress, says to him, I can't be with someone like you because I know I've been on dates before. Well, when I was in my 20s and I'd go out with a guy and he would be so rude to the server and I'd be like, oh, I can never, I can never see myself being with you because if you treat a server like this. Like, how are you going to treat me? So she may have seen his true self at that point and said, maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's not just me he berates. Maybe it's not just me he finds fault with. Maybe it's everybody in his life and therefore it's not me, it's him. I think that's very possible. There's something that happened that day that was different than the other fights, right? Because this has been happening all along and it never led to this. It could have just been a natural escalation, but there might've been something there, a trigger a phrase, something that Gabby said that put him over the edge. And I, I, I'm I, one of those people, just like everybody else, we're all wondering what that thing was. And I think what you said could be it, where it almost seems like Gabby is standing up for herself a little bit more. She's been with him a while. She's getting sick of his bulls, you know what? And she might be calling him out a little bit more and maybe not just kind of like cowering to whatever he says, which... For someone who's a control freak like Brian, that's a problem. Because if you lose control, then they start thinking for themselves and that that completely takes away your power. So could she have said something in that moment enraged him and caused him to strangle her? Absolutely. Anything's on the table. But I do think it's enlightening that there was a fight right before this, this text message came in from Gabby's phone to her mother, which was so odd and, and didn't make any real sense at all. Yeah, I wish we knew what the timeline of the 27th was like when uh, when did Gabby send her mom those texts and when were Gabby and Brian at the restaurant? Because it would help us understand whether those texts came after or before. It would help us understand whether it was this fight that directly led to Gabby's murder. And it still could be that this fight led directly to Gabby's murder. But you have to understand that if Brian's in in a rage, it's probably going to happen right after this fight. So if she had sent her mother these messages earlier in the day and then or or this happened earlier in the day and then Brian was sending these texts from Gabby's phone later on the day of August 27th. Yeah, I think what we're going to find if our speculation is right, they were probably seen at the restaurant, like you said, during the early hours. And I would not be shocked if we learn that the stand text message sent from Gabby's phone to her mother is much later in the day, which could be a... Mo- no, I actually think it's the opposite. I think it was earlier in the okay. day, and I'm going to tell you why, but let's take a quick break. 
All right. So I'm looking at our notes. I'm looking at the sort of timeline that we're, you know, sort of throwing together out, yeah, yeah, from eyewitness testimony and text messages and things. So Jessica Schultz, she was the one who was camping near Spread Creek. She yep. claims that she saw Brian driving alone and acting weird on August 26th. But then she saw the van again in that same place on August 27th and the 28th. And she felt that was weird because this wasn't a an area where you would park or camp. So what I'm thinking happened, and this is just speculation, Gabby wakes up on the morning of the 27th. Her and Brian go to get some food, maybe breakfast or lunch. They get into this fight at the restaurant. Then they leave. He murders her. Now, remember, Spread Creek is right around the corner from where Gabby's remains were found. The van was seen um, in the Spread Creek area on the 26th, the 27th, and the 28th. Now, I'm almost wondering if maybe Jessica mistook the 26th for the 27th, but Brian could have been in that area, um, possibly by himself, or maybe Gabby was in the back of the van sleeping or working on her computer on the 26th when Jessica passed them. But Jessica did say it seemed like Brian didn't know where he was going. So maybe he was scouting out areas ahead of time. Now, there's going to be a big question that's constantly going through my mind. I don't know about yours, but was this premeditated when Brian killed Gabby? Because let's be honest here at this point. I know there's people out there who are still saying, like, you don't know if it was Brian. That's crazy, guys. That's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. If you, if you believe that, you know, Stop you're probably it. listen. You're, Stop you're, it. We, will, we love you here, but. We're probably not going to be saying the things you want us to say. This is this is like you're you're just defying logic at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's, all, all the signs are there. Let, let's just ignore that because that's not a possibility. Brian Laundry killed Gabby Petito. It's just a matter of allegedly, what allegedly, allegedly. I got you, guys. Look at me throwing out your 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 sign your uh, yeah. your calling card, saving there. me. Uh, yeah. But it it's just a matter to us at this point of when it happened and really why. We'd like to know why. So before before the break, you said that you think it was. I think we're I think we're saying the same thing actually because maybe I was explaining myself wrong because I'm saying he goes to the spot. You know, Jessica sees him on the 26th, 27th. Sees the van. They go get breakfast or or an early lunch on the 27th. On the 27th, yep. right? They go back to that location. Something goes down. Maybe it's just a residual effect of what happened at the restaurant. Right. He kills her. Yes. I'm guessing. My guess is that when it comes out. We're going to find that the text message sent from Gabby's phone to her mother about Stan is going to be much later in the day yes. on the 27th. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Sent by so, Brian. Sent by Brian. Yes. Because now he realizes I just killed her. Yes. I have to try to create a, a bigger window of when this could have happened. I got to so keep that these I have people. Yeah, I got to keep these people thinking she's fine. So they're not asking questions. Right. So I think on August 26th, they are driving Gabby and Brian both driving where Jessica Schultz sees them. Gabby's probably in the back. They're looking for a place to camp. Clearly, Brian doesn't right. know where the hell he is or where he's going. They're looking for a place to camp. This is the first time they've been through this area. They pull over on the side of the road for some reason where it's not a designated camping or parking area, but whatever. The next morning, they go to breakfast, and then they go back to their same site where they had right. been the day before. And still arguing. Still arguing. Of course, still arguing. Yes. Yeah. Carry over from the restaurant. It escalates. He kills her. Now he realizes I because this is what I'm thinking. And I and if I'm getting ahead, tell me to shut up. Mm -hmm. But he's thinking, oh, my God, I just killed her. So how am I going to get out of this? I have to get out of this area. 
so I can create a reasonable amount of time where someone else could have killed her. Yes. So I got to make it look like she's still alive right now because if she stops responding or talking to her mom, which she does every day, they're going to start to pinpoint this day as the day when she was killed, which only leaves me as a suspect. So he sends out this random text message later that evening, and it's kind of not well-prepared, stupid. He's, he he makes a mistake. Because he probably doesn't to, know what Gabby calls Stan, her grandfather. Right. Does she call him grandfather? Does she call him grandpa? Does she call him poppy? Does she call him papa? He doesn't know. So he thinks Stan right. is the safest thing to call Gabby's grandfather. And you know what he did there? This is something else that you got to look into. He sent a message that wouldn't require a deeper conversation or a response. He It's a request. Can you call Stan, see what's going on? He's he's leaving me voicemails or whatever. It's not engaging with them to keep a conversation no, going. No, like, he, hey, he said, I'm getting all his voicemails. Right. I'm getting all his voicemails. So I guarantee you, Gabby's dead. Brian's got her phone. And he's looking for something on her phone that justifies a reason to reach out and say something. Like, right. oh. But doesn't elicit, but doesn't cause doesn't create a reason for mom to call doesn't back. create a reason for a back and forth exactly hey can you take care of this yeah that's it mm-hmm. he doesn't want mom to facetime her at that moment because no, no, here's no. the thing if he writes anything that might cause nicole is her mom's name mm-hmm. correct yes nicole to call her back or facetime which we've all done you and i do it all the time you'll mm-hmm. text me and i'll call i prefer facetime on the me, phone yeah. if you don't pick up right then and there later on that's your pinpoint that's your time of death. That's when you know something went down. She texted me. I tried calling her back. It was literally seconds after she texted me. No answer. Well, now you know. And so if we operate under that understanding that that was the pinpoint, right? Like that could have been the time of death. Back to what you said earlier, you were talking about the alleged Yosemite text that happened days later. Could this line up with that? That maybe it wasn't what you know some people reported on the 30th and it was earlier like you suggested yeah so like i said those initial reports were coming out right around you know the september 12th september 13th area and as we know or we haven't really gotten there yet but most people who are familiar with this case know that september 11th was when gabby was reported missing so these were very early reports and they said that uh, august 30th was the last text however we know that couldn't have been possible because gabby's phone was turned off before August 30th and it wasn't used after it was turned off. So what I'm what I'm thinking is that Yosemite text probably came in on the 27th or went to Gabby's mother on the 27th. So what I think is Gabby's mother probably tried to FaceTime Gabby. But at this point on the evening of the 27th, Gabby was already dead. So Brian is not going to answer this FaceTime, but he's also got to give an explanation for why Gabby Gabby is not answering the FaceTime, so he sends this text, no service in Yosemite. So sometimes with cell phones, you'll have enough service to get a text out, but, you know, especially in an iPhone, or if it just goes through SMS instead of iMessage, you'll have enough service to get the text out, but you won't be able to answer a FaceTime call, and I think that's what he was trying to do. I'd be very interested to see where that Yosemite text came from, because I'm sure the police have already gone through Gabby's phone to see what the location was when that text was sent. Yeah, I bet you it comes back that it was not near Yosemite. Exactly. But but that does make sense because we're saying earlier the Stan message might have been sent in order to kind of show proof of life. She's still alive, Mm -hmm. but without eliciting a response where she would want to call. Unfortunately for Brian, allegedly, that didn't work. And so what you're saying is that would make sense with this Yosemite message now. I think so. Yeah, He even though he tried to avoid it, 
she still tried to FaceTime her and then made up a lie on the spot, which in reality didn't even make sense based on where he was. Correct. But I mean, obviously, it didn't raise enough of a red flag at that point to prompt anybody to do anything. So, I mean, in a way, he was successful. Successful. But I mean, again, maybe this is just the way mine would work. If he if he kills Gabby, he's not only thinking about the moment, he's thinking about how, as far as everyone knows, he's only the only person with her. So he has to know he has an uphill battle to begin with as far as when it comes to being considered a suspect, he's going to be the prime guy. So he has to create a window where something could have happened to her that wouldn't involve him. And so he's trying to maybe create that narrative now. Maybe that was even his reasoning for going back to Florida later, which I'm sure you're going to get into, but trying to show a window of opportunity where even though he was with her, there was a certain period of time, maybe later on the 27th, where he was not with her. He was probably trying to create that narrative. So maybe down the road, he would have a justification as to why he was not the person who killed Gabby Petito, even though he knew based on other people seeing him, it was going to be that was going to be a tough one to pull off. Yeah, it's very interesting because the timeline as as we're sort of going through it together is becoming a little bit more clear to me. And personally, I don't believe that that Gabby Petito lived past the 27th. If she had, she probably would have texted her friend the next day, the 28th. Remember, that was her friend's birthday. This was something right. Gabby would have done. But she yeah, didn't. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely think we're zeroing in on the 27th. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and dissect this further. Okay, so a couple other people believed that they at least saw Gabby and Brian's van on August 27th. So this is a family of van lifers. Um, They have a YouTube channel. It's called Red, White, and Bethune. The parents are Jen and Kyle Bethune. They're a married couple who travel around the country in a van with their dogs and their kids. And they actually captured footage of what is believed to be Gabby's van on the GoPro that was affixed to the front of their vehicle. So like I said, they they do this van life content. So they've got this 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 video camera there on their car at all times so they can uh, record footage of the roads and scenery. So Jen Bethune says they were driving by the Spread Creek camping area at about 6 p.m. This is on the night of the 27th. They saw a white van, so they slowed down to say hello because, you know, I guess that's that's van life culture. When you see another V-lifer, you stop and you say hello. So at this point, they noticed the van had Florida license plates. There was no one inside of it, as far as they could tell. Kyle Bethune said, quote, the van looked pretty much abandoned. We figured maybe they were out hiking. They were just chilling inside. There were no doors open, end quote. So there's people online who have really like gone through this video, slowed it down frame by frame. And you can actually see in this video, if it's slowed down, uh, a part of this video that shows the van's rear door closing as the Bethune's van approached. So this is August 27th. This is the same day that Gabby sent her mother the Stan text. And this is also the same day that Gabby's phone was turned off and all activity stopped, which is a reason why I believe that Yosemite text was sent on that day. Now, of course, uh, the Internet went crazy with this video. They analyzed it. They picked it apart. Some people claim to be able to see things in this video that suggest that maybe someone was in the van. Some people say they can see a notebook lying on the dirt next to the van and a flip-flop that they assume belonged to Gabby next to the van on the outside by like the rear of the van. 
So I definitely see the flip-flop. I will say that. Um, I've watched this video today alone probably 120 times. I kept rewinding it, rewinding it. I took a screenshot of it and zoomed in on it. It definitely looks like a sort of brown-beige flip-flop. You've seen the video too, right? Yeah. So for me, the enhanced video, no doubt in my mind, and I'm not one to kind of like read between the lines. If I see it, I see it. If I don't, I don't. I am 1000% confident that Van Door is shutting as that YouTube video, as that YouTuber is pulling up. There's yeah. no doubt. I actually saw some photos. And again, sometimes when you enhance things, you see things that aren't there. I actually see two sandals and they're both positioned with the toes facing the back bumper of the car. Yeah. They're kind of positioned like you would leave them before entering the, the van. Yeah. Um, there is something else that you're, I think you're referring to, which is the notebook. Some people have said it's a notebook or even a cell phone. But I don't think it looks like a cell phone unless she had like an older style phone. Mm -mm. But you definitely see like a second object there. Some people said that, you know, that if it was one sandal, it would be a sign of struggle, which I agree with. Like, why would you have one sandal sitting outside the van? Um, But to me, and I could be wrong, we'll throw it up here. It looks like it's two sandals as if you were about to get in the van and you didn't want to have your feet inside the area where you sleep, like your shoes on where you sleep. So check this out. I remember... A portion from the vod- the body cam footage where where they were in Moab, Gabby said something like, "You know, it's it's me. I'm a little crazy. I had just cleaned the van, and then Brian got in with dirty feet." Now remember, Brian likes to hike barefoot, right? Or in barefoot, whatever whatever it's called. He likes to hike barefoot, so he's got these dirty Fred Flintstone feet, and he's climbing into a van that she just cleaned. And they get into an argument, which maybe prompted them to run up and down the sidewalk, hitting each other and struggling over Gabby's cell phone. So now what we see is this this van. Like you said, I do see the van door closing as well. And oh, you, yeah. see, you see no flip flop. Yeah, you see flip flops sitting outside. And like you said, you see the flip flops positioned in a way that you would leave them if you were getting inside the van in your sleeping area because the mattress is basically on the floor of the van. Right. right? And you would want to leave your flip flops outside. So I believe that whatever happened to Gabby happened inside that van, and then he removed yeah, her body. I think you're right. I definitely think it's you know, something went down in the van. The question I have is like some people were saying, "Oh, that was a sign of struggle." They might have that the YouTuber family might have been driving by right when the incident was happening. I don't know about that. I you know it's 6 p.m. at night. Uh, you know it probably already happened by then. For all we know, the the shoes could have been left there because whatever she got happened, into the van. Yes, yeah. she got into the van. Was she still inside the van when they drove by? Maybe. Or maybe that door shutting was him coming back from disposing of her body. Either scenario is very possible. But again, go look for yourselves because I think it can play tricks on you. I see two sandals and they look like they were taken off without a struggle. They weren't like thrown all over the place. Um, but then again, you may you guys may look at it and see something different. Yeah. And I mean, if if people you you said you think you see a secondary object, you don't know if it's a notebook or what is what it is, but you right. see some sort of secondary object. And if it's a notebook, then we have to now pull back from this most recent news of Brian being found and what was found near his his remains, a book bag and a notebook. Yeah. And from what I was seeing online. I don't know if it was substantiated. Actually, I think it was by the, the main reporter who's covering all this, that the 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 notebook was salvageable. What that means, we don't know. That's, but it was, that's interesting. Yeah, it was salvageable. So what, what their definition of salvageable is, I don't know. But I actually want to say, I think it was- um, 
shout out true crime YouTuber Kendall Ray. I think she was the one who retweeted it that I saw where it said that the no- there was a couple key points taken from the uh, taken from the their interview with uh, Northport police. Mm-hmm. And one of those things were was that the notebook was salvageable, which is is very, you know, exciting because I think that Brian being found dead left a lot of people with this sort of hole. And there's so many people out there who are sort of saying, well, he's not really dead. You know, he must not really be dead because they almost want him to still be alive so they can have some sort of closure and they can understand why he did this and how. And that notebook might tell us that he may have written something in there. He may have written a suicide note. He may have written in a journal form, like what he was feeling, what happened, what he did. He might have wanted to tell his story before he left the world. And that wouldn't be crazy that we've seen that many times. I hope he did. I don't have a lot of hope for it. I remember working the O.J. Simpson case when we were doing it on Discovery, and he had wrote a note. He was planning on killing himself, the whole Bronco thing. Yeah. And he had wrote a note. And even in that note, he was kind of just – he gave some indications that he could be involved, but he was he never admitted to it. Of course, it but of, you could see through it, right? You could see through it, but yeah. he was still trying to like justify it. You know, I loved her, all these things, and like I hope it's not one of those because I remember reading the note, and I was just like, he's just – again, trying to go out with his narrative, right? He's going to kill himself before this chase is over, and he's going to go out with that note being his final words. Which is fine, but Brian's narrative is still better than no narrative, and I think people are smart enough to read between the lines, and they can tell when he's being self-serving. They can tell when he's building his own narrative. And also, I mean, especially these, like, internet sleuths, you know, they're, they're insane, like, in a good way, in the best possible way where they will pick apart every word he said, fact check it, you know, check it against the timeline, check it against evidence that they have and they know. And and they'll be able to tell what's what's genuine and what's not. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. We'll see what he does. He's I you know, I have a hard time believing it'll be a confession, but I'm hopeful for Gabby's family it is because I do think it's they would rather have him alive and in court, but I think that would be a consolation to at least have him in his own words explain what happened that day. Cause I really think it's that's the real tragedy here is that Gabby's family doesn't get that, you know, those answers. Right. Like, why did you do this? You know, what happened out there? Yeah. And to just kind of be left with nothing for the rest of your life. I don't know how I mean, first losing your daughter, but then on top of it, not getting any answers regarding what happened. That's that's tough. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but I definitely don't think that Brian Laundry would give a full confession. Nope. No, nope. <laughs> no, no. The guy who goes out in the woods. And and I, I think we're going to find, you know, took his own life. That's my opinion. Um, yeah. If he was going to give a full confession, he would have turned himself in. Yeah. And then took his own life. <laughs> yeah. I don't so, see it happen. But yeah. I, again, yeah, hope we're wrong. Well, so we don't really know what happened between the evening of the 27th and August 30th. But on August 30th, Gabby Petito's bank card was used. And obviously, we're going to go ahead and assume that it was Brian Laundrie that used it because an arrest warrant later accused Brian of spending $1,000 on an unauthorized Capital One debit card that was in Gabby's name. So we don't really know where it was used or what was purchased. And that's it's very frustrating because they said that the card was used, but they didn't say like where and, you know, what was bought. Like, was he at a gas station? Was he at a convenience store? What was he buying? But according to Richard Stafford, the Petito family attorney Quote, he ran, he stole her credit card, he used her credit card to get home, and then ran from the police, end quote. So let me ask you a question. Would the Petito family attorney, Richard Stafford, would he have information from the police that we don't have? So for him to say that he, that Brian had run 
and he stole her credit card and used her credit card to get home, it makes it sound like Brian used this credit card to basically like put gas in the van so that he could drive from uh, Wyoming back to Florida. Would would Richard Stafford know things that we don't as the Petito family attorney? I think I think the family would. And I think through through them, I think they probably had access to her card information. Right. They could probably call using her social security number. And based on the situation, the, the bank was probably willing to cooperate, cooperate with the family. They were able to identify themselves as her parents um, because it, depending on when this statement was made, it would take a little while for the FBI to get a subpoena signed and then executed by the bank, Gabby's bank. So they may have been able, we've done this before where instead of getting a search warrant for something, there are times where it's quicker to go directly to the victim's family than get the subpoena, right? You can get the search warrant. So if you get their consent, you can get access to that information immediately. And I'm sure they pitched it to Gabby's family as, hey, listen, we want to try to locate Brian. He may be in possession of her credit cards. Would you mind giving us access to the account? Which they can do. So yeah, per per the family, Richard would have that information. And I do agree with you. It's probably used for travel expenses, gas, whatever it may be. The, during the path that he took to get home, he funded that trip through Gabby's credit card. Yeah, because from Jackson, Wyoming to Northport, Florida, it's about 2,400 miles. So I guess we can assume that this this card was used to basically put gas in the van from yeah, Wyoming to Yeah, about $1,000? Yeah, it makes that sense. That makes sense. Yep. A van, thousand of twenty four hundred miles. Yeah, probably in this in this the prices for gas right now, probably about a thousand bucks. That and some a couple snacks at the rest stop. That a couple was couple Gatorades, exact, you know, vitamin yep. waters. Yeah, that, that's exactly. Well, he no plastic do, bottles. Yeah, yep, wouldn't do it. I was just about to say it. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't He's probably it. He, like boiling his own urine and straining it to yeah. create drinking water. No, but it makes sense. And that's how he knows. He had access to the debit. He could probably see the purchases that were made with the Capital One card. So this this does make a lot of sense, right? What we're, what we're theorizing here, because two days later, Brian Laundrie and the van were back in Northport, Florida. But Gabby was not with them. And Brian didn't call anyone to let them know that he was back in Florida. You know, besides his his family, obviously, like his parents knew he was back because he was living with them. But he didn't call Gabby's parents and say, hey, I'm back. And you know what? Gabby's not Gabby's not with me. It's me and the van, but there's no Gabby because then what would he have to do? He'd have to answer questions about, well, where the hell is Gabby? If you have her van and you're here in Florida, where is she? Why isn't she with you? And then to add insult to injury, this dude actively ignored calls and texts from members of Gabby's family who, as the days went on with no word from Gabby, had started to get Concerned. And not only did Brian ignore these calls and texts, but Brian's mother and father did as well. And that's where we're going to pick up next time. We're going to pick up with Brian back in Florida, Gabby missing, everyone having questions, Brian and his parents not talking to anybody, and then Brian just vanishing. Yeah. I mean, I really think we're starting to hone in on the time, the definitely the day, but also a time yeah. in which she was killed. You have it from the YouTube video. You have it from the chain of events that led up to it. And so when you look at the 27th, um, the witness said that she saw the van also possibly on the 28th, correct? Right. So he probably was there the 28th. You know, whatever happened the 27th, he disposes of the body. I'm assuming that if he were to dispose of the body, when we see the YouTube video, it's probably not then. If I had to, if you said, Derek, you got to make a decision right now, what do you think? I would assume 
he would wait until late at night when it's under the cover of dark to take her body out wherever you're going to take it. You're not going to do that in the middle of the day. So do I think that door closing represents him coming back to the van after disposing of her body? I don't. I think a reasonable person would say, I'm going to wait till everybody's sleeping until this park is completely, you know, it's completely dark. And then I'll bring her out there. So he's there until the morning of the 28th. Yes. I, I, I know the charge. I think he was is, probably there most of the day on the 28th because he doesn't start driving back to Florida until the 30th, right? Because you're talking, you get back in Florida on the 1st. It's about a 20-hour drive from Jackson, Wyoming to Northport, Florida. So you're not driving nonstop for 20 hours. So he probably stayed there the 28th. Set out on the 29th, camped somewhere the night of the 29th, got some rest, and continued driving the next day, showing up in Florida on the 1st. Right. Uses the car on the 30th because he's getting low on gas or whatever. Has to re-up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fills up there to get the rest of the way home. It makes sense. And, it, and, it, and all that after the 27th also gives more credence to the idea that it was, in fact, the 27th and not the you know the 25th. I mean, listen, you can, you can pinpoint it to we know... She was alive on the 27th midday, at least, whenever they were at the restaurant. So that's not up for debate. There are multiple accounts confirming that. So anytime before that, you know, people saying that she might have been dead almost immediately after the traffic stop, because I've seen that too. No. It's not the case. There's no way. She was alive until at least the morning of the 27th. We'll, yes. you know, we'll learn the time in which she was seen at the restaurant. And then based on what happened afterwards and based on that weird text, you probably only have like an eight to 10 hour window where she was killed. If that text message represents... Her being dead, but we don't know what time the text message. Right, that's what we gotta sent. wait and find. That's what we gotta find out, and we will. By the way, it'll come out. I mean, all this will come eventually, out eventually. Yeah, eventually it'll come out, whether it's by um, legitimate sources or leaked through the family or whatever. It's gonna come out. It's too. It's too polarizing of a case for it not to come out. But I, I am really interested to find out what time that text message was sent at, because I do think it's gonna line up with what we're saying, what we've been saying this whole time, as far as. That was his first attempt to try to create a narrative that, although you hadn't heard from Gabby, mom and dad, she's still alive. Here's a little taste of her being alive still. And it's it's weird because I would almost go as far as to say that when the Bethunes drove by, Gabby may have still been alive. It's six yes. o'clock, right? And mm-hmm. this is August. So the sun's going to be up until like nine in August at, at around this time and in this area. So I think that they could have been in the back of the van arguing and that's why the van door closed because they know that van lifers like to stop and say hello to each other they may have seen this van approaching and they were like we don't want to be interrupted right now we're in the middle of an argument and then maybe this argument went on for an hour two hours i'm sure you've been there you know when you have the same argument over and over again it seems to get longer each time even though you're arguing about the same thing and eventually he may have snapped. Now, I'm still on the fence as to whether this was premeditated or not. Oh, yeah. I That's... just don't. I can't tell you because I can't get into this this guy's head. Right. I I almost wonder. I, I'm going to like lean towards saying it wasn't that he sort of snapped and lashed out. But knowing, you know, Brian and knowing sort of how manipulative he was and how much of a control freak he was. He could have had this kind of in his mind as a plan B, you know, not like something I'm I'm going to do. But as a last resort, I might have to kill this girl. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I do think it was a crime of passion. I I do based on him, based on their their relationship leading up to it and how there were hints 
of it getting there. There was there were there was the start of violence that was physical in nature. Yeah. And this is what you usually see in domestic violence relationships where it starts off where he's just throwing an uh, pro- something at the wall. Mm-hmm. They always say, right, if he's willing to throw something at you, he's willing to hit you. And so it's one of those things where it might have started with just words and then escalated to maybe the damage of property and then escalated to a slap or a scratch or a choke. And then it got to this point. So I do lean towards crime of passion also for the sense of if this was premeditated, it wasn't well thought out. No. Because from the start, he starts making really, really rookie mistakes, to put it lightly, as far as the text message and what he's saying, referring to the wrong place. There was no plan to kind of set this up where he could have made it look like we were out hiking and there was a tragic accident. Right? But he, he seems to be self-aware of that, right? Because when he gets back to Florida, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to talk to anybody, so he probably he knows, knows. He's screwed. He knows. He knows he's screwed. He knows he doesn't have his ducks in a row. So why is he going to talk to anybody? And and that that's why I think yeah, I think you're right. I think it definitely is a crime of passion. Um, and I do agree with you. By the way, back to what you were saying earlier, you know, if he had strangled her in the back of the van, and you know, it does seem like that van was shut abruptly because they heard a vehicle coming. I don't think if you had a dead woman in the back of your van, you would have the door open at any point. No, no. So so I don't think it's like, oh, somebody's coming. I got to shut the van before they see what just happened in here. I mean, I guess it's possible, but man, what are the chances? I think it's more likely to what you're saying where they're arguing in the back of the van. They don't want to be disturbed. They shut the van to appear that, you know, so it appears that no one's there. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're right. I think you're right. But that's why I think to go, you know, to kind of round this out, we were asking the question why this case is so polarizing and why so many people are enamored by it. Things like that, like that YouTube video where they basically had no idea what happened. And then this, this family comes along with a video probably showing Brian and Gabby, if she was still alive within hours of her death. I mean, that's That's, crazy. That's this whole case. That's this whole case. Not only were they so present on social media, basically chronicling every step of their journey. But then you've got the Moab, Utah stop. And we can see these two people interacting as a couple, interacting with other people, being their own individuals. And then we see this this footage from the these YouTubers, the Red, White, and Bethune. And it's these it's like being in a dark room with a flashlight. And everywhere you shine the flashlight, you see one little piece. But you need to know what else is happening because we feel like we've already had a glimpse inside of their their lives. And what they were, what they were about, and what they were doing, and so we want to obviously know from start to finish what happened, what happened to Gabby, and and it's important that um, that people understand we probably never will know exactly what happened, but it's going to be frustrating for everybody who's been so invested in this case, regardless. I'm fairly new to the true crime community, but I do think that is a a main premise of this of everyone that's involved in this and that's that's fascinated by it, which is the unknown. We're human beings; we want answers. And we work hard, we research, we investigate to try to get those answers for not only the families, but for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And with cases like this, because there are a lot of them, in some situations, the victim and and the actual offender take those answers to their graves. It's a hard pill to swallow, and I don't think anybody's ever going to accept it. But it's it's a reality. It's an unfortunate reality, but it but it is a reality. I can't imagine being um, Gabby's parents, Nicole and Joe. Yeah, no. And never knowing the answers. No. That would be, I mean, obviously for us, the everyday person who's been following and invested in this case, it's tough. But for them, it's got to be an impossible mountain to climb. Agreed. No, it's a tough one. 
But I do think there's something, again, we can take out of this. We're learning from it. It goes back to the first episode. We talked about your, your, you were brave enough to share your story. And we had a lot of comments about that as well and how that, you know, helped some people who listen and watch our podcast. So I think that was good. And I, I do think that is the theme of this whole thing. It's this case. It's, I don't want to say it's solved, but we're, as far as the case is concerned, Vic, uh, Gabby is deceased. Brian's deceased. We may get something from his notebook, but based on how this investigation has been going, I don't know if we're ever going to have the whole picture, but there is a story to be told here because there are women and men for that matter in lesser you know amounts, but there are people right now that are in situations similar to this. And if you're in it or you know somebody who's in it, understand that although it might just be a slap or an argument or the throwing of an item, this started off that way too. And here we are talking about it. So if you take anything from this, take the signs that we're kind of laying out here that we're seeing now in hindsight with Gabby's situation and apply them to your own and try to get that person or yourself out of the situation before it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. And and like Derek said, we won't ever know the whole story. But I have noticed since Brian's death or the realization of Brian's death, more people have been talking. And I do think we're going to hear from the police departments involved Little by little, more information, stuff about cell phone records, things like that. It will help us to flesh out the timeline. But, I, you know, as we know, law enforcement, even the FBI doesn't know everything that has to do with this case at this point. So it's it's really interesting to know what's in Brian's notebook, if it is salvageable. But uh, I think we're on our own on this case. We sort of have to figure out what we can figure out and and leave the rest um, as a mystery, which which is fine, even though it's hard. Yeah, hopefully we have more about the notebook before we finish the series. Yeah, probably by the time we're finished with the series, more will be out. We'll see. Yep. Well, we will talk to you guys next week. Until then, uh, keep watching us on YouTube. Remember that our audio episodes come out every Friday, and then our YouTube episodes come out on our channel, Crime Weekly, every Wednesday. So the following Wednesday, the YouTube episode will be out. You can follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter, Crime Weekly Pod. You can also go to our website, crimeweeklypodcast.com, where you can leave us a speak pipe so we can actually hear your voice and hear what you have to say. You might hear yourself in an episode sometime. You can also go to our merch store through our website, which is crimeweeklypodcast.com slash shop. We will see you guys next week. Until then, have a great week and goodbye. Later. 